You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, what a great service so far it's been. Let's give the interns a round of applause. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to lead that many songs, and if you've never done music ministry before, whew. So thanks, Reese. Thanks to all the, the musicians. We're so grateful for you. Uh, my name is Kenny Zuchuku, and I am a master's degree student at Pepperdine University. I'm getting my, yeah, okay, okay, that's great. Yeah, Pepperdine, it's cool. I say it so much I forget, but uh, it's been great being at Pepperdine, studying divinity and learning more about theology. Um, we are beginning a new series today called The Good News. Can everyone say The Good News? Living the Good News. And the Greek word for good news is euangelion. Can everyone say euangelion? And uh, it also means gospel. Because the gospel is supposed to be good news. It's supposed to be positive. It's supposed to be enticing. It's supposed to be exciting. But oftentimes... We think of it as bad news. Uh, this is a breakup. Uh, so there's a time I went to a Starbucks a few weeks ago. I was meeting with a disciple. And I saw a guy and a girl talking. And then the girl starts crying. And then I'm sitting there watching. You know when you people watch? you got to be smart, though. You can't stare the whole time. you got to take a... So I was, I was watching. And, and I'm like, this is a breakup. I'm experiencing a breakup, and I'm like, literally, I'm taking some, like, wow, this is intense, and I'm thinking all she wants to do is, like, be comforted by somebody, but the only person that could comfort her was her boyfriend, who's just breaking up with her, and it's a public space, and she couldn't really get out. It was so awkward. I loved it. I loved it. But sometimes we view the gospel like that. Hard news. I don't want to listen to it. It's bad. Or we think of it as fake news. Right? What do we even believe anymore in the news? When we read reports, when we watch CNN or Fox News or whatever, what do we even believe? Is it real? That's more of my generation. That's kind of how we view the gospel. It's fake. The gospel was never meant to be good news only to Christians, but is good news to everyone willing to listen and reason. In September, I met the guy that did the welcome, Josh Vasquez at Pepperdine. And when good news is bad to me, when I express it, when I think it's bad, guess what I do? I don't talk about it. When I think it's fake, guess what I do? I shut my mouth. I don't share it. So I made a decision. I'm like, I'm just going to, that day, I'm just going to go talk to someone. I'm, I'm going to pass all the introductions. And all I'm going to do is just ask him, hey, do you want to study out the good news and the gospel? I introduced myself first as hi, my name's Ken. And then I asked the question. So I'm going around, I'm doing it to people saying, no, not really that interesting. No, not really that Sure, maybe, maybe. And then I get to Josh and I'm leaving the classroom and I said, hey, man, my name's Kenny. He's like, I'm Josh. I'm like, would you ever be interested in studying out scriptures? And then I saw a smile come on his face. And he's like, yeah. 
I want to. You know why? Because the gospel is supposed to be good news. And when someone doesn't understand it, when someone's been like trying to figure out how do I navigate this, they're waiting for some people to ask them. It's supposed to be good. Do we believe that this morning, church? Have we lost that conviction, church? Or do we go out and want to share the good news? Today we're going to start off by looking at one of the signs in John. Where the series is going to be looking through the seven signs of John. The first sign, which is Jesus turning water into wine. And in John, obviously, it's the gospel. It's a gospel. It's one of the four gospels. And throughout the gospel, Jesus is trying to communicate why believing in him is so good. So he starts out by talking about wine. Isn't that funny? I know a lot of you guys like wine. So we, we, we don't have to go past that. We, we know that. So let's start off watching this quick video. Hopefully it works. I don't know if the sound's going to work. And then we'll get into the lesson. Bolney is 40 acres, which is 16 and a half hectares. We grow red wine grapes and white wine grapes, and we actually make sparkling wine as well here, but we actually specialise in red wine, so a lot of this field behind us here is planted to Pinot Noir. grapes, we take them to the winery, we load them onto a sorting table where we actually just look at the grapes, if there's anything we don't want to go through into the press, we take them out. And then if it's white wine grapes or grapes for rosé, they go straight through into the press and then we press them in the press. With red wine it's a little bit different. With red wine we actually crush and de-stem, we take the grape stems off of the grapes, we don't really want them in with the wine as it's fermenting. Um, we get the colour, get the flavours and aromas and then once that's done you pump off all of the, the juice that you've created and then you take the grapes that are left um, and just put them very gently in the press just to get the last bit of juice out of them.
English sparkling wine has become quite well recognised now. A lot of people have heard of it and it's got a brand name abroad as well. But there is more and more still being made and there's definitely interest and we sell out, we sell out a very big bottle of still we make every year. Alrighty, so now you guys know how to make wine. This is going to come into play as we look through the scripture, because oftentimes we hear Jesus turning water into wine, and we think, he just did it, it's a miracle, awesome. But that process you just watched takes days, months, years of planning so that you can have the wine that oh so many of you guys like to drink. So I want you to think about that. And let's not take some of the things that Jesus does for granted and realize that the miracles really take work. So, first point. There can be no good news without bad news. Can you say it with me? There can be no good news without bad news. One more time. There can be no good news without bad news. Let's read. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, Jesus lived about eight miles from this place. He lived in Nazareth. That's where we think he grew up. And there's a wedding festivity going on. And weddings were like the most exciting thing of that time. It was like, it'd be like going to an Ed Sheeran concert. Or it'd be like going to an amazing gala with a bunch of frames. And it is like the thing to do back then. Because life was hard. It was difficult. They'd work most of the time. There, there wasn't like a middle class where we could kind of get away with doing stuff and just having fun occasionally. It was like work, 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 work. And then marriage. And the bridegroom was responsible for making sure that when he got married... He had everything in order. Everything had to be taking place. He had to make sure he prepared everything for the wedding. It was his responsibility. And when it didn't happen, it brought so much shame, so much uncomfortability, awkwardness for him and his family. So when there's no more wine, it's over a course of a week. The weddings usually last a week. It, the, the wedding parties usually last a week. So when there's no more wine, guess what? He's scared. He's freaking out. This is an uh-oh moment. This is, this is one of those moments where you're like, oh gosh, I think I'm going to get in trouble here. I don't want to say anything. I don't know what to do. Let me just sit in my bed and just try to let it go. You know, you're just trying to figure out what to do. But what does Mary do? Jesus' mother. He asks, she asks Jesus. For help. And Jesus responds, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. What does that sound like? Do you think Jesus is excited to do this? you think he's looking forward to deal with this? There's something wrong here. There's something that's disturbing his soul about 
this request from his mother. But like any good mom, and I know there's a lot of moms here. My mom's not here today, which I'm grateful for because I'm going to talk about it a little bit. But like any good mom, like any good mother, you know that when you ask for something, your son, your daughter may not, they, shake, they may shake you off. They may, but guess what they'll do? They know they're going to do it, right? His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Jesus didn't say yes. He didn't say okay. But she knew that he was going to do it. And I think we all can agree that raising Jesus, she must have thought he was a little bit special. Jesus probably had some abilities that she noticed. And he's about to embark on his public ministry. About to go out. He's at this party. He's probably wanting to relax and chill. And Jesus' mom is like, I need your help. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. Quick point. Do others come to you because they trust that you can help solve problems? Or do others stay away from you because they know that you won't be helpful? We're trying to become like Jesus, right? First thing, out of a comfort zone, right out of the gate, at a wedding party. Need your help. How do people see you? Are you helpful or not? I remember I was a junior at UCLA, and I had been there for three years, and I noticed that there was some distance between me and some sisters. Now, I wasn't the most humble college student. So I understand there was going to be some animosity for sure, but I remember it got to the point where they'd literally avoid me when we come to the fellowship. So I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Let me, let me say something. Let me talk. Maybe it's just, maybe I smell, I don't know. So I met with them. I asked him, he sit down. I met with one of them. She's like, Kenny, these last few years, I feel like every time I've come to you or want to ask for help, you've just made fun of me. You've just been sarcastic. And I'm honestly at the point where every time you say my name, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Can you imagine that? I'm sitting there at Jamba just thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm about to graduate. You know, like I'm about to leave and we haven't reconciled this. So I sat there and I was like, what can I do? I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to be like that anymore. And I really appreciate those sisters that told me that. Because sometimes we don't see things in ourselves that we need to change. Sometimes when we're in our zone, in our lane, and someone comes to try to help us do something different, we get uncomfortable. But Jesus responds. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to respond. Point number two. Jesus came to bring wedding joy. Jesus came to bring wedding joy. He's at a party, they're having fun, and then there's a problem. Now when there's problems, we have one or two choices. We usually run away or we kind of help. Jesus wanted to help. He didn't maybe desire to do it in the moment, but his heart of hearts wants to serve. Let's keep reading. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. 
It's so unique. I love the author John here. He kind of slips things in. I want to get your, uh, afterwards, I hope some of you guys come and talk to me about lessons. I, I hate when I do a lesson and no one says anything. I really want to converse here. But I have some thoughts about this. I think he's trying to communicate something here. He talked about the Jews for ceremonial washing. So the six stone water jars, the Jews would use that to purify themselves. Now back in the Jewish culture, it was known that God was holy and that man was flawed. He was so holy that they needed to do some stuff to be able to become reconciled with him. Does that make sense? Yeah? So what did Jesus do with those jars? He says, you know what? No longer are you going to be subject to those ceremonial laws. I now have authority over that. I'm the authority over that. So take the things that you would use to cleanse yourselves and let's use it to make wine. (laughs) Because you're no longer subject to that. I'm the authority. And symbolically, this entire passage is trying to move us towards something. He's trying to get us somewhere. He says, my hour has not come. That's what he said before. He's trying to get us to a place for us to understand what his mission is, how to live out the gospel. And he does so by trying to remind us that we are subject only to him. Now, I think all of you may believe this at some point, but I think it's really easy for us to take this notion of being holy and not being good enough. And take it to the extreme. Where we don't want to listen. We don't want to do anything. We just... In that culture, it was shame, honor. So it was really easy for them to feel guilty about something. In our culture, we just... You can believe whatever you want to believe. It doesn't really matter. It's a little bit harder. But, but I know every one of you has a drive to purify yourselves. How do I know that? Why are you working so hard? Why is it so important for you to look good? Why is it so important for you to achieve great success and status? What does that say about you? What does that say about us? It means that we're trying to remedy, mitigate. We're trying to be good with ourselves. To prove to the world that we are not lame. And you do it with everything. You do it with the way that you dress, with the time you spend at your job, and with how you treat other people. It's so evident that we're trying to aspire for something more. Are you believing that? Or are you just letting that go? Do you see that in your lives? Or are you just passing by? The bridegroom reaches a point where he has no option. He's finished. He's ashamed. There's no solution to his problem. The wine is gone. But what does Jesus do? He figures out how to help. We get to a point where we have nothing that we can do. Are we going to allow Jesus to help us? Or are we just going to continue pushing through? He goes to the master of the banquet and he says this. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where he had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper 
wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Wow. Amazing. Who is this master of the banquet? I've read this text multiple times. That's something I skipped over, over and over again. And this master of the banquet, Architrikilenos, term is used three times in the New Testament, also known as chief steward, head steward. The modern equivalent would be an MC at a party. His job was to make this party awesome, was to make it great. But he didn't know about the miracle. He didn't know. You guys notice that, right? He didn't know. The servants knew. Jesus knew. This guy had no idea, but he knew what wine tastes like. He understood that his job was to make this party excellent. So he looks at the bridegroom who's responsible for paying for it and making everything great, and then he tells him, you have saved the best for last. Now, I want to share this, and I hope this does not offend you. Actually, it probably will offend you. But I think that sometimes we forget how much we've been bailed out by Jesus. We forget that the things that we've lied about and stolen and cheated on and hurt others with, the things that we think we've gotten away with because no one else knows here, the master of the banquet We'll always figure that out. And we forget that Jesus wants to help and love and serve and give over and over and over again. And that he bails us out over and over and over again. Because we're still alive, right? I remember there was this time I was in, uh, I was at, um, I was in middle school and my sister and I were waiting for the bus. And uh, like an idiot, I was hiding from her and playing around. And then she says, Kenny, I'm leaving. I'm like, sure. So I was playing in the park, and then she leaves, and then the bus is gone. And I'm thinking, I've never learned actually how to get home by myself. So I'm there by myself trying to figure out what to do. So I just start walking. And as I'm walking, I see terrible things, right? I see someone getting beat up. I'm like, I don't want to stay away from that. I see a guy getting mugged. I see a woman being treated unprofessionally. And I'm starting to kind of realize this is how the world is. This is how the world works. And I get to the point where I'm like, wow, I cannot believe I've been able to make it this long. I had this when I was in middle school. I made it this long in this world without dying or something terrible happening. Jesus has saved me over and over and over again. For those of you who are Christians, and for those of you who are not currently living like Christ, I know that there's some of you in this room who are addicted to pornography. I know there are some of you who are cheating, lying, stealing, having sex out of wedlock, who suffer some amazing, amazing, amazing problems, and who have not shared anything about it. And just because these consequences have not been so present in your life to make a change, I want you to think about all the times 
at your family, your friends, your teachers, your loved ones, the times that they've helped you, the times that they've gotten you out of stuff, the times that they've protected you, the times when you should have been exposed, humiliated, or punished, but instead you received credit, acknowledgement, and praise for something you did not earn. There is something that you need to know. There is something that you must hear. There is something that you probably have heard before, and if I can't communicate it to you well this morning, I pray that you ask someone to help you communicate it later. But I want to make sure I'm on the same page. Point number one, there is no good news without bad news. Point number two, Jesus came to bring wedding joy. But guess what? Wedding joy comes at a cost. Wedding joy comes at a cost. It's costly. It's expensive. It's going to take so much time and work and energy to actually pay it back. Because it can't be really paid back. This is what he says. Woman, why do you involve me? And Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now why does Jesus say this? My hour has not yet come. Well, if you think through all the times he talks about my hour, what's he talking about? His death. Every time it's used in the gospel, it's a reference to Jesus dying on the cross. So when his mom comes and says, can you do this simple thing? Simple for Jesus, not simple for us. Simple thing. Guess what? He's like, guys, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to go to the cross. I'm at this wedding party. Should I start my ministry right now? Jesus is battling within himself. Because what he wants to do is bring that wedding joy, but he knows that the only way that's possible is if he dies. You see, this first sign was a sign that's going to lead to what his life would be about, which is sacrificing his life for other people, giving himself up for other people. And this is what he says that we should do as well. The hour has come, John 12, verse 23, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. The disciples focus a lot on his life. Sometimes we focus a lot on Jesus' life. I want to just live like Jesus. But every time Jesus was on this world, all he was thinking about was his death. All Jesus was thinking about was his death. Because he knew that the only way that he could give that life that we want to live was through the death. So what does he tell his disciples to do? What does he tell us to do? What does he tell everyone how to live? He says, guys, if you want to live a life that's amazing and awesome, if you want to live the gospel, guess what you need to do? You need to die. You want to live this amazing life? You've got to be ready to die for God. That's the gospel. Is that attractive to you? (laughs) 
Is that something that you want? Because when you committed to becoming a disciple, when you said, I'm going to become a Christian, that's what you signed up for. Now, I've been a part of this church for a while. And I've been kind of in Malibu, kind of off for a little bit. So maybe I I don't have the right to say this. But it's very obvious and clear to me when someone's living the gospel. It shouldn't be something that would be a secret. It's not kept in here. And then someone once told me, Kenny, you're in college or grad school. You don't really understand when you get married, when you have kids. When... And I'm like, really? Because how I view it is when you're, when you're an expert on something, when you grow in something, you learn how to adapt it in every stage of your life. Whether you have kids, whether you're married, however old you are. Because I'm like, how can I figure out how to help marry people? You're married. You figure it out. You know what I'm saying? It's like, how do we get there? We're more than just a church about the campus ministry. We are a church of all generations. And we need to help people see what it looks like to die so that they can live for Christ. Amen? So let's close out here. What did you die to when you became a Christian? What errors or habits do you currently need to put to death so that you can experience the life of Christ. Now, for many of us, we're, this is a memory thing, right? This is a jog my memory. It's been a while. For some of us, maybe we've never actually experienced this kind of death. Maybe that's why we're here this morning, because you want to learn about it. You want to ask for help. You want to figure out how to do it. And that's totally fine. Talk to the person that brought you. Come talk to me. I don't talk to anyone. But how would you answer these questions? What are your thoughts? Some things that we'll do. Read John 12, verse 20 to 28. I just gave you a small segment of it, small little snippet, an excerpt, and ask a fellow disciple about how to understand and live this out. And then ask, how does it apply to you? And then I want you to talk to somebody new. I like giving you action steps. We'll see what we'll do it. Talk to someone new this week. Share with them how the good news is good for you. Explore how the gospel could be good news to them. Live out the gospel. Give it a shot. If you're rusty, it's okay. Get back on the horse. It's time to go. Because Jesus chose this sign as this verse to indicate that his end goal isn't pain, His end goal isn't suffering or even happiness in this world, but it's a wedding joy that will last forever. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.